Welcome to Breaking Paradigms, a podcast where we talk about global perspectives on spatial planning in practice and theory, by Constance Frech and Sarah Kouchy. Hello and welcome. Um, today uh, we are live in this episode once again. And we just want to tell you if you have any questions in this episode or during the live streaming, uh, feel free to write us a comment also afterwards. But if they, your question is posed during the live streaming, we will take a moment at the end of the live streaming to answer all of them. And now we have a short quote to kick us off. Markets have played a key role in the emergence of cities. Historians, sociologists, anthropologists, and other urban scholars all identify markets as important public spaces for social interaction, where multiple forms of sociality are enacted. Markets offer local communities potential, not just for local economic growth, but also for people to mingle with each other and become accustomed to each other's differences. So, as you might have noticed uh, from the thumbnail or from this quote, uh, today we will talk about markets. And when we talked about creating this series on food and the city, um, it didn't take us long to establish two aspects that we really wanted to talk about a bit more in depth. So, last um, episode was more a general um, focus on food in public spaces and um, today we'll first tackle markets and then in our next episode we'll talk a bit more about street food um, and that's when I hand over to Constanza. Yes, also a warm welcome from my side. Um, the first question I start with is why are markets so, such an important uh, component of a city? Um, if you study the history, the very, very first history of big cities of, um, around the world, uh, you can trace back the roots of many cities uh, to places as, as being markets. Uh, sometimes you can even tell this from, from, na from the names, uh, like Shanghai, uh, the big city in, in China, used to be called Shanghai Xin which is translated market over the sea. Uh, nowadays, uh, Shanghai means over the sea, but originally uh, it has the market, it had the market in his, its name. And uh, Copenhagen, for example, uh, is translated to Merchant Harbor. So, and um, you might know many more places where markets, um, are still the names of cities and um, being a market uh, was uh, a very important factor of cities um, 
for for towns developing big, bigger places and becoming cities. Um, and as we did our research on the um, influences of markets to places, um, we came across um, a quote uh, telling that um, the the city uh, having market uh, having a market and a market being the base of a city um, is especially important um, of the European medieval city and was only existing in Europe. Uh, and we were a little confused about that and digged a little deeper and it didn't take us long to um, uh, realize that this is not true and figured that basically in every culture a market is somehow the base or at least very very important for a city uh for the beginning of a city so it's quite uh, interesting if you look at the, um, the archaeological findings for example around the world um, all of them have indicators of trade indicators of markets specifically and there's a very um, interesting uh, book on um, the origins and development of urbanism archaeological perspectives which was written by um, cowgill and um, he uh, very clearly in this book references a lot of um, different cultures and how uh, they define urbanism. Not every culture puts such an emphasis on, um, on markets or on commerce. Um, but what is quite interesting is that it still always played a key role. I think from nowadays perspective, we can very easily see why, because words like the market are thrown around um, all the time. But um, if you look at it from a historical uh, perspective, it still is very ingrained in, in culture. And so when we look at the European city, um, and we will not elaborate too much about that because we know that this is probably the most well-known um, aspect since it's taught all over the world. Um, but the European medieval city usually is described as having a market, a city wall and the right to the city, which was usually somehow connected to political administrative uh, rights, but also personal rights of, of the people who, who lived there. Um, church and religious um, uh, religious institutions were also quite important in the European medieval city. Um, but I'm just going to keep it at this uh, and we will elaborate more on three other types of um, of cultures or actually four types of cultures um, and how that um, interplays with the market. All right, I will continue with the Chinese city, which is one of the oldest um, traditions in city planning around the world. Um, the Zhou Dynasty uh, dates back to the 8th century before Christ, uh, and they had a pretty strict system of building cities with a squared wall and um, three doors on each side, uh, which uh, all had uh, streets um, crossing the city, creating a chessboard. So traditional um, back then cities 
uh, were actually a chessboard like nowadays uh, North American cities. Um, and which is also very interesting and very different from other cultures that the Chinese city uh, was the city planning was and a little bit still is strongly connected to the theory um, or the idea of feng shui which you probably might know better as feng shui uh, feng means wind in chinese and shui water um, and this should uh, the chinese believe that this could or should uh, canalize positive energy to places you probably have no uh, um, know a little bit about it um, and they had to, they thought that traders uh, and merchants are not the most productive people and that's why that the, uh, the, the market was put in the north um, to have the traders and merchants being more productive and have a positive influence on the city. So um, the market uh, was such an important place uh, in the city that they figured the best place in the city uh, to put it. Um, so yeah, I think that's about the Chinese city. So Sarah, you can continue with Nigeria. So um, as we were researching different cultures, we were mostly focusing on how the market intersects with um, cities and city planning in different cultures. If you want to hear a bit more in general about um, how city planning worked in other cultures outside of the what we now know as North American and um, European standard planning, I'm going to broadly generalize right now. Um, we uh, leave us a comment and um, we can do some specific episodes uh, if you're interested. Of course, most of this relies on anthropological and archaeological research, but um, among other um, interesting cultures that we discovered uh, on how their um, urban planning worked uh, was the Yoruban um, culture. And I'm just gonna read you a quote because I think it um, very much summarizes how um, spatial planning in the uh, West African, in nowadays Nigeria, I think, um, space is built i forgot to include the name of the city in my notes it's very close actually to the border with benin um but um i uh, i might uh, write it in the description and on our website um if you're interested to to find out more so smith writes european cities exhibited a common spatial pattern cities were walled they were centered on a large royal palace roads radiated out from the palace, a market was located adjacent to the palace, and residential zones were organized into lineage-based neighborhoods that served as administrative units. So if you look at that logic of the way that the city was planned and built, um, you very easily see how closely connected markets were to power to give it the spot next to the um, to the royal palace, I think, uh, speaks volumes as to its importance. And 
Now I'm going to take you a little bit more east um, to Harla and Aksum, which are two cities nowadays located in Ethiopia. And um, something that I found very interesting and exciting to read about is how deeply connected both of these um, places were in terms of trade, um, not just locally and nationally, but also internationally. So the, the city was quite rich and cosmopolitan and markets there were very heavily interlinked with the artisanal communities and the um, the, the workmanship that um, the region was um, known for and so trade there was very heavily interlinked with production so with the with the way that um, the goods were made and then sold so rather than bringing something to the market which I think is much more common in the European city that stuff was produced outside the city and then brought to the market sold there etc um, here you see that there's a closer interlink with with this type of production within the city um, and then to go either much more east or much more west uh, depending on how you turn the globe um, another um, interesting aspect of um, city planning and how it intersects with markets is to be found in Mesoamerican cultures. So the archaeological scholars that I read um, from were all in agreement that Aztec, Inca and Maya cultures all had very different approaches um, to city planning. But the fact that um, they had such a structured approach and such a big scale of cities um, would indicate very strongly that it was actually planned. And um, an interesting fact that I found was that um, in the city of Tlatelolco, um, if you know how to pronounce that correctly, please send me an audio file. I'm very sorry for butchering that. Um, they had a market that drew about 60,000 people daily to it. So if you consider the size of an, a small city nowadays, 60,000 um, people is quite a draw um, for a daily market. And um, it's very, fairly interesting also how, for example, in Aztec culture, um, the central public plaza, which I would um, consider to be probably um, very much in use also for markets, plays a critical role in the way of how the Aztec culture understands the city and so therefore also understands how it's interlinked with the market. Okay, um, let's sum up or uh, finish uh, that section uh, of the cities with the Arabic city. Um, in the Arabic city, um, the mosque is the spiritual, intellectual and public core. But the central business district um, of the um, Arabic city uh, back in the days, and until today, a very important part of the city is the bazaar, so the big, big market in the um, city center. Um, and the very special thing about it is um, the only uh, place in the city, let's say, um, through the technically speaking, 
uh, with other, any residential function. Um, but um, it's also the most important social hub of the of the city of an Arabic city. So the mosque um, and the bazaar are the most important places of an Arabic city. Um, so uh, one can tell that those are um, the most important parts of, of the society. Uh, and in larger cities, sub-centers with smaller bazaars and side mosques develop. Um, also showing again that um, if a city grows, um, this very important basics of the society, the market and the mosque, keep us um, stay uh, within the city. So they, um, if there are more people, the those um, institutions appear again and replicate and duplicate yeah exactly and I think it's very interesting I think our examples really showed it very well that um, all uh, these ancient cultures really found an important space for markets um, in their cities so obviously not every city would have a market um, or uh, and there are cities that were established for other reasons, uh, but it's quite interesting how closely connected um, the market and the city are in so many different cultures and in so many different uh, settings that pre-colonialism um, were some more connected and some less connected. Um, so like I was saying, for example, with with the findings, the archaeological findings in Ethiopia, they found um, a lot of Arabic and Chinese um, remnants of um, both currencies and um, objects like vases and stuff like that. So I think it's quite, quite interesting how both this idea of like the market, as we also very often conflated today with the economy, um, and the physical markets are interlinked that this is not like two completely separate entities that um that just share a name but how strongly they are connected mm. and um i'm just going to quickly remind uh, everyone who's watching us live that if you have any questions feel free to write them in the in the comment section and comment to us um and we we're really looking forward to answering anything we can at the end of this live stream. But now we're going to the to the to the meaty bits because also something that we found very interesting is what does it mean to be a market nowadays? Um, so we asked three. Uh, we didn't ask three. We asked different people from three different continents um, about what markets are to them. And we asked them to kind of describe what the physical characteristics are, um, what the noises are, what the smells are, uh, what they usually encounter, and um, how they would describe the atmosphere. And um, also because it's quite interesting that different um, cities do this differently, where the market is located. Is it at the city center or is it more on the outskirts? And um, if you want to take a moment and think about these um, questions yourself, feel free to write them down and uh, we will post them maybe later on in the description and on our website. 
um, so that you can also just comment um, to us on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, or on our website. Just let us know on YouTube as well, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, um, in order to to um, to kick us off, we asked a contributor from Argentina. Um, yes, our very first contributor is Belen. She's an author, digital content creator, and a teacher in Pilar, Argentina. And three of her students, Leda, Sophie, and Nahir, created additional contributions uh, about their favorite markets. So we're going so, to listen to them, and then uh, we're going to talk about it for a little bit. Cold cuts are definitely the first thing that pops up every time I go in the quesoteca. The smell of fresh ham and different cheese are the first things I see and smell as soon as I enter. The place is small and you can hardly see anything from the outside. It's only when you cross the main door that the magic begins. Very crowded with stuff and narrow hallways, all filled with dry food to inspire your best inner chef. When it comes to noises, the cold cuts mandolin is always present, as well as the cashier. Since the door is small, you can't really hear the city center outside, even if you go on the busiest hours, like noon or around 5pm. The atmosphere is quiet and somehow cozy. As it's isolated from the traffic, you can take your time walking up and down the place, gathering your ingredients for your next amazing meal. My favorite market. Its name is Tia. It used to be located two blocks from my house. We used to go there with my mom almost every day. There you could find good products in a low price. It was nice when, as a child, I walked through the corridors and looked at all the products on the shelves. Also, I love singing the music that sounded at the background and feel like Justin Timberlake singing can stop the feeling. Something we loved from that supermarket was that the employees were really nice people, super kind. They already knew us, so they always said hello to us and stopped for a little chat. Unfortunately, that supermarket had to move far away from my house because they had problems with the land where the building was. My farm market is a vintage hardware store. It is a family business that has been in my city for almost 50 years. Its facade is made of common bark clay bricks. It has a wood roof and windows that have been there since day one, which, in my opinion, gives the place its essence. When you enter, the first thing that catches your sight is the spaciousness and how organized the place is. Everything has its own shelf, making things easy for the workers. It is a quiet store where only a tango is heard in the background and some whispers of people shopping. What people mostly like is that they can always get what they are looking for, and with affordable prices, which makes almost everyone wanting to go back and buy more things. Another detail that I would like to highlight is the smell of the place. If you think of a hardware store, perhaps the first smell that comes to your mind is some metal smell. However, this place has a really nice sense of wood mixed with the history of the place. The people who work there always treat you well and they are really cheerful. Most of them are older people, but there are always some young employees. 
If you have been there several times, they already treat you as friends and ask how are you doing or how the family has been. We don't go frequently because it's located in the city center and we live a bit far from there. So um, that was uh, the contributions from um, Pilar in Argentina. Thank you very much for sending in your, um, your audios. Um, we one thing that I immediately noticed when listening um, to the to the audio files uh, for the first time was that it kind of opened the question between what is a market, what is a store, and where do I draw the line? And it's very interesting because in Spanish, mercado means market, and it me but it means both. It means a store and it means a market. Um, And in English, um, also we use supermarket, um, uh, quite interchangeable. Is it just a big market or is it a store? And and where where is that confined? And for me, also interesting was that um, because of the the way that the word is in use usually, um, it uh, market in in German, we attribute quite different than you would market in Spanish. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, because uh, I, of course, we do have the word supermarket, which is supermarket. Um, but even if we, um, I, in in our daily life, I don't know if you have a different feeling about that, Sarah. But I think we even rarely use the word supermarket. Supermarket. We normally use the, the the name, the brand of the place where we are going. So even if we um, if we go to a supermarket to a, to a supermarket, we wouldn't say supermarket, but we would say the brand where we're probably going. So I think this is also a reason why for us Markt, which is market, um, is especially linked to a market um, with stands and not a supermarket, which is indoor. Um, but it's quite interesting for me as well because I was thinking about it how do you define then a market because I do know a lot of indoor markets as well or yeah. for example there's a market very close to where I live that kind of basically just has little stores that are together and it's in a space mm. that's called market but if I think of my my childhood when I went to markets it would always be with as you were describing now, that they're just kind of these loosely based booths mm -hmm. that um, sell goods, usually fruits and vegetables, but also... Um, just on a table and maybe an umbrella on top, and that's it. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's um, that's quite, uh, quite difficult, because why is this one place that is very similar to what could be considered just a store next to another store next to another store why is that a market to me much more than um something that is um owned by a brand uh, let's say it like that because for example if i look at um, bigger markets or more known markets here in vienna for example um the nashmarkt or the um 
or the Rochusmarkt, they heavily rely on these very formalized stalls. And we will come back to the topic of informal and formal um, with our contribution um, at, um, at a later point. But um, I think this kind of like, connection of what is a market and what isn't can also have a bit of a historical connotation that there used to be a market and this is why it's still a market even though the feel or layout might have changed and in a sense it a store is a market as well because if it's selling goods in a in a space is it selling goods outside not necessarily there are big market halls um mm. Like, for example, we have this this picture from uh, Barcelona, um, I think, uh, which shows kind of the stalls a bit from above. Um, yeah, and... no, the picture is uh, actually from Curitiba in, uh, in Brazil. Ah, I'm sorry. I took the picture. <laughs> um, I, will, I will show a picture of Barcelona in a second. Um, <laughs> but kind of this idea of that these stalls are, are, are a market, and then the the um, what's the difference to a store? Is it that it's owned by a, a big brand, um, or is it because that's also not necessarily true in a lot of places? Um, like for example, in and around Barcelona and in Spain in general, you have this really big culture of having these tiny stores, these tiny, um, yeah, uh, resellers of of food. Um, I wouldn't consider them markets, but I think that for me it's just a market is where you see the products like in an open setting and it has this kind of vibe to it. And another hmm. another interesting aspect in, in that um that in those contributions for me was really the topic of um the emotional connection to the space. Like um some of them were describing and I don't know who like that they know the, the 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 retailers, that they know the store owners, and that that gives them kind of um, like a certain sense. And for me, that really also applies to how I feel with markets because it's this like special connection that you have. And mm. for example, my father who goes to the same market for more than twenty years now, he knows all the 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 um, people who sell their foods there. There is kind of this personal connection, and then I'm wondering is that maybe also for me more attributed to this market feeling? But what if I get that from a store? Is it then more a market or less a market? Mm. Um, if I think the interesting thing is again uh, that there's a big cultural difference again of what kind of goods are organized as markets and which not. Um, again, uh, an example from China. I, I, I know it's a, a little China um, centric, but uh, <laughs> China centric when I am explaining things, but um, you know, living there shapes um, your, your perspective. perspective a lot. Exactly. So in China, it's a lot more typical to have um, markets specifically uh, focused on specific kind of goods, uh, which are so non-food goods. So there's, for example, um, a fabric market. So uh, which is not only that you can buy um, like kind of fabrics like cotton and whatever, but you get clothes there. But 
tailored. So it's basically a tailor market. And there are, I don't know, 200 on, I think, four, uh, on four levels, all kinds of tailors for, for dresses and for blouses and for jackets and for trousers and whatever you can think of. And they, uh, so they, they tailor for, for, so on, for your specific size. Um, and this, I also consider that as the market, even though it is actually one building and um, it's indoor, but it, it felt like a market. And then uh, I think this and... kind of specialized character of markets is also something actually that's quite common for us as um, as Europeans, Central Europeans specifically, with this idea also of having these seasonal markets that are very specialized, not in terms of like product, like what you were describing just now, but in terms of seasonality. So mm. um, we have huge Christmas markets, Easter markets, um, usually in some sort but of connection. This seasonally specifically special but this was um specifically for this kind of um uh, manufacturing and exactly. there's also which was really interesting for me was that there are uh for electronic things or also all kind of um also uh not only electronics but all electric stuff you need also for kitchenware and things uh, there was also a market in, in Shanghai, uh, which was very unusual for me because I normally, there are some kinds of shops I know I go when I need anything electronic. And this was a market and this was, uh, and the people also tried things and it was such a market feeling and people were shouting, I sell batteries and it's cheaper here and don't go over there. And this was uh, such a different experience from what I know where I usually buy my electronics mm. um, and the same was for glasses uh, I bought a pair of glasses in China because I realized that I need new ones um, and there was a huge huge buildings only for class for glasses so sunglasses and um, um, seeing aids but only glasses and there were mm. I don't know, hundreds of, of, of shops. Uh, and this was also very unusual to me. <laughs> um, pretty actually, I think, uh, and our, uh, and I'm going to change our plan there a little bit. Our next contribution, which is from Abel Lasefa, um, is actually very much in line with what you were telling us um, about uh, China, um, because um, he's, um, so Abel Sefa is an architect in Addis Abeba in Ethiopia and uh, his example um, is of Mercato which um, he uses some sketches um, that are vis visible in the video for you now uh, but if you are listening to this audio later on and just as a podcast we will put also the pictures on our website um, so that you can see what he's talking about. And then maybe we can talk a bit more about the, the specialized um, aspects of markets. My favorite market is called Mercato. So Mercato is located in Addis Ababa. It's one of the largest open markets in Africa and the main commercial center of the city. 
It's a very populous, dense and super active part of the city with a high activity of humans and vehicles and even carriage animals. You can see in the picture, it's a bustling, noisy, chaotic market. So you will experience what they call a dynamic, organized chaos if you ever go to Mercato. In Mercato, there are specialized blocks where you find items. For example, there's a block for spices, there's a block for cheese, there's a block for fabrics, for scrap metal. Literally anything you can think of, you can find in Mercato. And each block has a unique experience. And the visual and the olfactory experience plays a very, very important role for the experience that you will have in the different blocks. My favorite block is the spice block. It's a very colorful block. You, and the smell of the spices is very, very stimulating. Now, this market is so big that I've only explored a tiny part of it, even as a resident of the city and a user of the market. And one thing I notice in Mercato is that space is very expensive and every available space is used as an active commercial space. So one of the things that I find very interesting is the overlap of different types of formal and informal commercial activities in Mercato. You have formal traders that use rented spaces and informal traders that claim the outdoor spaces. So sometimes pictures don't do justice to explain these things. So I'll be using sketches to illustrate. So in the first sketch, you see a very typical setting that shows the shops and the spaces in between the shops. Do you see how packed it is? It's because space is very expensive in Mercato. And you can also see that most activities happen on the ground level. In Mercato, the visibility of goods is very, very important. It attracts more shoppers. So on the second sketch, you see how sometimes goods are arranged, extending to the outside space to catch the customer's attention. So these are still formal shops, but they claim the immediate outdoor space as well. And then you have the informal traders that claim the outdoor spaces, such as sidewalks and even the streets to display and sell their goods. And you also have the mobile traders that you see on the fifth sketch. These people are always moving. They're carrying their goods and looking for customers and selling uh, what they have. Now, all of these things are happening synergistically. What you don't find in the shops, you will find in the streets. So whenever I go to Mercato, I am getting services from both the formal and the informal traders. So these are the things that I find very interesting about Mercato. And I hope... You get to experience this organized chaos soon. So, thank you, Abel, for your uh, contribution. I think Mercato is a really um, mesmerizing experience. Uh, I've been as lucky as to have visited it, even though it was just very shortly, um, because I was there just for a university project. And... Um, yeah, we we only got to see it for for a short moment. Um, I was told by by the students that we worked um, with, who were from Addis, like Abel, um, that if there's something in this world, it is in Mercato. If it's not in this world, it's like if if you can't find it here, then it doesn't exist, basically. And um, it's a saying, right? Hmm? There. I, I think it is a saying, but uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. And mm -hmm. I think that this market um, 
like Constanze was telling how in China also there's this huge specialization. I think it also really showcases that. And in the first picture, um, the picture with the buses and some of the market stands uh, really also doesn't do it justice. It's a huge market um, that like from one end you can't see the other side of it. And, um, and this uh, extreme specialization also creates a lot of interdependencies in the market, I think. Um, not just what he was explaining, um, the informal and the formal and the varying gray areas in between, but also just between the, the supply chain, basically. Because you have these um, people who, um, who, for example, uh, resell um, plastics, um, who then maybe sell to someone who um, who sells uh, food f to put the food into plastic bags. And I mean, this is just a very simple example, but I think very often what you find in markets, especially big markets um, that have a diversity of good is a lot of interlinks and very long supply chains, even within the same same space. And we, when we were discussing on how to kind of structure this episode, we were also talking about like, okay, should we should we define a market as it's this exact thing, like what we were saying before? <laughs> should it be just if it's outdoors and it has booths or stalls? But I think it doesn't do it really justice if you if you limit um, the definition that much, uh, and that's why we also want to give kind of this room of discussion on what can be part of a market. And, um, and there is a, a, a very interesting um, book once again, uh, I think it's called Cities of Change um, and it has uh, Cities of Change Addis Ababa. And um, there you actually find a, a map um, that kind of like a mind map um, that shows very detailed uh, kind of the reaches of this market and how how interdependent it is that everything from uh, let me read what's written there uh, from the onion ladies to the collectors to the NGOs who work there to the um, teenage day laborers to developers who build the space um, the city administration there's so many interdependencies and I think it's very interesting because when we talk about how is it structured, one thing we were also talking about is like, what about a farmer's market where a farmer just comes with their goods and sells them. Like that's the least supply chain, I guess you could have like yeah, you yeah. produce whatever and you food and, and se you sell it. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and, and that's it that, that, um, that is the, the smallest link and that is also a market and then also if you have to have someone who produces the food and someone who um, makes out of this product um, something else or even just wraps it in plastic or as we, we see it now more and more also in markets that kind of have this restaurant side to it at least um, at least in, in Europe, that's a, a big trend. And we'll talk about that after the next contributions. Um, but yeah, I think uh, this commercial aspect is very inherent in markets. That's kind of the idea. Uh, but it also is quite interesting to think of how varied it can be. Like, um, And we're talking, because 
now I gave the example of the farmer's market, how, when is it a market? Is a person just putting a stand on the side of the road and putting their food, is that a market? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, but let's come to our last contribution from Cody Giroux, who is a transportation planner in Vancouver, Canada. And Colleen Gilbert, who is an urban engineer in Lille in France. My favorite market, like everyone else in Vancouver, is the Granville Island Public Market. The market is located on Granville Island, a former industrial district that was turned into a tourist center in the 1970s. Over the years, all the surrounding industry has left and been replaced with mostly housing, though the island still retains its industrial architecture. There's still a working cement plant here, but otherwise the industrial buildings have been converted to shops and artist studios. The market itself remains the hub. These old steel buildings with corrugated walls and large girders, high light-filled ceilings make for a great market atmosphere. The passageways are tight at the Granville Island Market and the stalls are close together. Even when the tourists are few or non-existent, the locals still shop here and bustle from stand to stand. The steel walls, high ceilings and tight quarters make for a varied soundscape. Smells very widely from one side to another. As you move from the meat section to the fruits and vegetables piled high with fresh berries and potatoes, to the deli section complete with dishes from Italy, Thailand, local First Nations and more, the other end you reach the boutiques with its artisanal olive oil, pickles and lemon squares. This market lies at the heart of Vancouver and makes for an interesting blend of old and new. This market is called Marché d'Oisem. It's located in Lille, in the north of France. This is a market that is both indoor and outdoor and near the city centre. I think it's a very popular market, which probably helps to make him uh, extremely alive. I really enjoy walking in the constant hubbub, smelling the roast chicken and see all the colours of fruits and vegetables. I think this is a very colorful market. But I guess what I prefer is having a drink on the terrace of the multiple bars that surround the market. It's a very common uh, moment and very convivial moment where you can join your family, your friends, or even meet new people. Okay. Um... Thank you also, Colleen and uh, Cody, for your contributions. Um, I think uh, it's a little bit funny that uh, Colleen actually said that it's a very colorful uh, market, but we on only uh, found a black and white picture. But um, uh, it might um, trigger your fantasy. <laughs> you, uh, you can color uh, it in your mind. Um, I think um, it's very important uh, what both of them said um, that the markets are a lot also about um, it's also a very important place for tourism uh, when I visited Colleen a few years ago uh, in Lille uh, one of the things she um, wanted to show me was this market and I really enjoyed going there and I think it's always a possibility uh, or a place where tourists and locals actually meet. Um, 
because I think, I don't know, there are some places which are very typical as being a very local place and a, very, and a place where mainly tourists go. So um, if you think of, I don't know, museums or typical tourist attractions, um, you rarely see any locals, but a market, this is just a place where tourists and locals meet. Um, and although, I actually, mm -hmm. although um, I think there's also something to be said about tourists kind of pushing out locals, um, there that's uh, true that um, that can happen. Um, it's not necessarily true, but I think it's a bit uh, a question sometimes of pricing and of what kind of goods are available. If I think of La Bocaria in, in Barcelona, for example, um, there you kind of, even though you still have, and I'm, I'm going to show, show um, a, a picture, I think I showed it before, um, that, um, that they have a lot of, um, of fruits and vegetables and so on. Um, but also you you could see in the background that there's a lot of smoothies, a lot of ready-made food, um, which is not necessarily something that um, that the people who live there who want to would just actually need. Yeah, um, I thought um, in that case of the fish market in Hamburg, um, you don't know because this was the only time in the history of fish market of the fish market in Hamburg that it was closed. Was it the weekend you visited uh, Sarah? Guess Remember? I'm lucky that way. <laughs> so, um, but in general, uh, it's a very famous fish market, and many people who visit Hamburg visit the fish market. And even uh, even though it opens very early, people in the holidays get up early and and visit the the fish market. And it's music and it's uh, snacks, and you can buy beer. Uh, in the very morning and rarely any resident i mean partying young people would probably drink or do drink beer but um this became a very touristy place actually and um i do know residents of hamburg who say um actually it's uh, the very important part of the market the actual uh trading place got lost so uh, I also can see that, and uh, it's also a little bit happen, or it is actually happening also for Nashmacht in Vienna, where you have uh, more and more souvenir shops and um, and a traditional Viennese cuisine. Look, um, um, I don't know, like uh, pops and 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 stuff. Hmm. I think so, though what you also mentioned uh, that is an important aspect is this like social atmosphere because even though like certain places um, do get more touristy I do think it also attracts uh, a specific local crowd in that sense like mm. maybe nowadays I wouldn't go to Nashmark to buy fruits and vegetables but I would go there with my friends for a drink because they have nice yeah. restaurants like what Colleen was saying, just to have a drink on the on the um, on the terraces. I think she said um, yeah. that th that it creates this additional space within an existing space. And so I think it always, of course, depends on on how this is actually then created. But um, 
there are some some places that actually use that to their advantage to say okay we have these permanent uh, structures um, and these permanent restaurants or pubs or cafes and we have this um, this more dynamic more more um, more um, how you say sorry yeah whatever sorry (laughs) (laughs) uh the 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 sellers of uh of what is seasonal what is regional what is um whatever and so so i think that that can be an important role also for a market to provide social space and um also to be kind of a point of interest in the city i think when we think of um the 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 way that markets attract people because of their colors because of their atmosphere it also creates this kind of identity for the city almost yeah i agree on that like what is what is found in this market what is found in this in this um in this space can kind of shape the the district the barrio the whatever on on how how it identifies as well but not to get too long, um, we will now kind of conclude this episode. And um, we were we were um, just interested in what is your picture of the market? As we were saying, we, we are not super interested to kind of narrow it down ourselves. But I think you paint, you, we painted you a picture of what's going on in our heads. What do we consider markets? What do we not consider markets? And so um, now it's your opportunity to kind of let us know. Um, and we're really interested to see if any of um, the contributions that were made maybe changed your mind of what you thought a market has to have or is and um yeah so uh, that that would be very very interesting to us leave us a comment as usual facebook instagram youtube and our website are all available to you um and then to kind of sum everything up we were discussing now a couple of different points that how markets shape the city but to sum it up for you um what does the market space offer and what does it initiate in a city and so the first and most obvious point is commerce employment and income not just for the vendors as we were saying but for the whole supply chain um, from the producer until the point of sale and um, how many people are in between the starting point of a product and the end depends so the next point is tourism and points of interest as we already said um, it's a very important uh, place in the city for tourist aspects and as a point of interest as we said um, it creates a special atmosphere also for locals so and it's also a place of consumption so for especially food and ingredients as well as um, takeaway snacks, uh, as well as fruits, vegetables, spices, and all uh, all kind of thing you can think of. But it's also a social space. Where you can find, um, as we were saying, interaction, interaction between locals and tourists, but also locals between each other, uh, forming emotional um, relationships over time, learning each other's names. 
Um, it can also be a creative space where maybe you hear some music someday um, because they built an impromptu stage or someone just wanted to try something, um, art installations, etc. And um, it can also be a space uh, of innovation and ideals. So what I mean by that is that uh, markets try to sell you something usually. And so kind of this idea of having um, your unique product, your unique quality uh, is quite important. And I think that's why it's an important um, point of innovation, whether it comes to how do we market food or how do we market different things. Um, exploring different cuisines, making space for what is um, maybe different from what people are used to or to narrow down to to specializing in having really good products of a certain kind. So whether that is, for example, organic or local foods or on the other hand, very exotic and very rare food, um, all of these things um, kind of create this space of innovation and also kind of ideals, I would uh, argue, where markets exist. And finally, it's also a space for special interest and special occasions. So for example, in Europe, you have many Christmas markets, but uh, also uh, in Asia for uh, Chinese or Asian New Year. Uh, and this kind of markets uh, take place all around the world for all kind of uh, religious or um, public uh, holidays and occasions. And so to kind of conclude this, I th hope we gave you kind of the idea that a market is not just a simple space of uh, retail, uh, but it provides a lot more than that. And we're really looking forward to hearing from you. Um, that's it from us. And we're looking forward to seeing you in our next episode, which will air in one month. Bye. Bye-bye. This was Breaking Paradigms by Constanze Frech and Sarah Couchet. Be part of the conversation. If you like what we do, consider supporting us and join our Patreon community. Connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and at breakingparadigms.org. Content and editing by Constanze Frech and Sarah Couchet. Sound design by Didac Barroso and Florian Frech.